Hello and welcome to the first of the new series of CryptoCast launched by Gunnar Cook. This is a podcast really focused on people who are launching new fintech and uh, products and services. And is really designed to give an understanding of things from legal compliance and things related to that. I am James Burney and I'm a partner at Gunnar Cook and I specialise in financial services and regulation with a particular focus on the fintech space. Today I'm joined by David Abbott, who is an expert in pricing and help with market strategy. David is a member of the operating partners at Gunnar Cook and has written one of the definitive books on pricing called How to, ne- How to Price Your Platypus, which is available on Amazon. Hi, David. How are you? I'm great. Uh, good to see you, James. So, of course, pricing is essential to selling any services or goods. But do you think that there is an industry-specific approach to pricing in every case? Or do you think that you can take pricing at a micro level and apply general rules of thumb to any new product or service? Uh, well, uh, yes, it is industry specific uh, and at the same time, no, it isn't. Uh, as with all things, there's a bit of an it depends. Uh, there are certainly some industries where they have very specific challenges. So regulation will be one of them. Uh, industries were, which are purely commodity and there's no scope for differentiation, then they tend to be just whatever is the lowest price wins. And uh, some industries have very specific approaches to pricing. So. The low-cost airlines, you know, they all use dynamic pricing. However, uh, they tend to be the exception. My experience is that the vast majority uh, of industries can take a more logical and analytical approach to the way that they price and improve their pricing by understanding the psychology of their their customers um, altogether. Um, yeah, part, part of what I do is I speak about pricing for a living. I'm a, uh, an international speaker and I've spoken to thousands of businesses and in my interaction with them, I'd say that 80 to 90 percent of them, they'd be now able to take something away from what we've talked about and make an improvement to how they, they price. So although there are some exceptions in general, I think most, of, most industries can, can improve their pricing. Uh, and when you say that industries improve that pricing what what exactly do you mean by that is it simply about always charging the highest possible price or or is it more about increasing the amount of business you bring in or, or again does that kind of depend on on the situation you're in yeah you're absolutely right it does depend you know uh, this is where pricing uh, links into the organization's uh, strategy and goals so if if you're at an early stage and the most important thing is to grow at the the fastest rate possible that you need subscribers or whatever it might be, then you might price accordingly for that. Um, the, the reason why I, I get interested in pricing is that I think a lot of organizations, they struggle with it. It's, it's one of the harder things to, to decide because nobody likes to, to go in too cheap and leave money on the table or to go and be too expensive and lose sales. You know? So there's often a dilemma about pricing. And my particular interest is um, I I think a lot of organizations end up vulnerable. Uh, They're not as resilient as they could be if they optimize their pricing. So I'm not talking about price gouging or charging the the absolute maximum amount that you can. But I was talking to one company five months ago, prior to the uh, the COVID um, uh, lockdown, 
and their net profitability was 1%. Uh, on roughly a 20 million turnover, they made 200,000 pounds profit. That makes them very vulnerable to the slightest change in the marketplace. And something like COVID comes along and that has a significant impact on that business. Even if they survive and they have to take out the C-bills loan in order to survive, even if they, you know, it's, that's got to be paid back. And if you're operating on wafer thin margins, then the length of time it's going to take you to get out of debt is going to be huge. So I just want to try and help organizations to optimize their pricing so that they are more resilient. You know, they, they don't shed jobs when something uh, bad happens. They're able to withstand shocks in the economy. Uh, and I think optimum pricing is the way to go. And when you're finding that, that optimal price, is that something where there are, there are rules of thumb that can be applied in terms of figuring that out? Or is it, or is there, and if so, do you have any rules of thumb you'd like to share? Yeah, sure. Um, I think before before I talk about rules of thumb, though, I'll um, uh, I think people need to think about pricing as a process um, because the the rules of thumb generally apply to how you present your price. So we'll come on to that in a moment. But a lot of organisations, the the pricing process is either they work out all of their costs and stick a margin on top and that's cost plus uh, pricing, or they do some research and see what everybody else is doing. And that's not really much of a process. It's not really doing your, your homework. What I'm interested in is, is helping companies to understand how they deliver value uh, to their customers and how that value differs from the competition. Uh, that means that if you've got a particular product or service, you've got a better idea of where to position it from a pricing point of view. Or if you've got a range of offers, let's say you've got a good, better, best uh, range of either services or products within a uh, particular product range or whatever it might be. Um, how do you how do you price each of them? Well, you need, you need to price them rel relative to the perceived value. For example, there was a, a client of mine that I was working with. They had a a bronze, silver, gold version of some software that they were selling. So it's a, a software as a service. And when we analyzed it, um, it turned out that there was almost no perceived value difference from the point of view of their customers between the bronze and the silver. But the silver was 30% more expensive, which completely explained why the only thing that they could sell in the marketplace was silver, uh, sorry, was bronze, and nobody was interested in the silver at all. You know, so you do that homework to understand what the what value looks like in the eyes of your customers and how that compares with either your product range or your competition. And then you also do some work to understand, you know, what, what does margin really mean? And an example there, there's a company I used to work for many years ago, they've disappeared now, called Microvitech, where we sold monitors. So these were the big old huge beasts that, uh, you know, CRT, uh, cathode ray tube monitors. Uh, and there were two core markets that Microvitech sold into. And one was, um, um, it was an industrial market, but we made 45% gross mar margin there. And the other one was a financial market, we made 28% gross margin. We loved the industrial market. We, we, we couldn't work out, we'd give people a 10% discount at the drop of a hat in order to make sure we got a, a sale there. But when 
I spent some time and did something called a simplified activity-based costing analysis, when I went through and actually looked at where efforts went between each of those two markets. It turned out that net, the industrial market made 6% net profit, and the financial market made 14% net profit. And the industrial market, remember, was a market where we give 10% away at the drop of a hat, and you're making 6% net profit. So that's the kind of uh, thing that goes into a proper pricing process, really understanding those kind of fundamental elements before you make a decision about what price you're going to charge. And then once you've decided on the price you're going to charge, then you can start to think about your tips in order to present it. That, that's fascinating. And so once you've come up with your magic figure, for want of a better way of putting it, um, when you go on to then present it, is there, do you have any kind of tips as to how best to do that? Or again, is it, do you feel people are always rational and look at these things and, and base them on a rational process? Yeah, there, there are. And this is really about understanding the psychology of how we make decisions. Um, even in business, you know, we, we like to think that we're totally logical and we, we just look at the evidence in front of us. And all of the evidence is that we, our subconscious mind makes a quick and dirty decision. And our, all our conscious mind does is it rationalizes why it was the right decision all along. And that's not just in B2C, in consumer markets. That's in B2B markets too. There's a huge amount of evidence. Um, just uh, one very quick anecdote you know, to illustrate that that's outside of pricing is to do with recruitment. Uh, all the, um, the evidence indicates that when you're recruiting somebody, you've probably made your decision as to whether you like them or not within the first minute of meeting them. And that, that's, you know, do they look you in the eye? Are they smart? Uh, how firm is their handshake? Uh, you know, do they, how easily do they chat with you? Do they talk about football? Whatever it might be, you've made a quick and dirty decision. And then you spend the next hour looking for evidence to confirm that you were right all along. You know? So that's how we are in, uh, you know, we're all humans. So the three tips that I'm going to mention are probably the three easiest things. And, and they, um, re they rely on this understanding of the psychology of decision making. The first tip is about uh, wherever possible, giving the customer more than one price to look at. Because when you only get put one price in front of them, then subconsciously, what happens is they compare that price with every other price they've ever encountered, uh, prices for identical products, substitute products, alternative things that they could spend the money on, whatever. And that happens magically without the person being aware of it in their subconscious, and then they make a decision. But if you can have a good, better, best, and I do mean that, I'm not looking for take your, your product or your service and the price it is and find a way to discount and then find another way to discount off that. But take whatever you do and find a way to add value to create a second option and then add more value to create a third option. If you can find a way to have a good, better, best that you can put in front of people, then what they're doing is they're comparing your three prices against each other rather than your one price against the competition. Then having done that, you can apply something called a price anchor, which is as simple as start with the highest price first. Because our natural inclination, because we count up, you know, if, if we're pricing something at two grand, four grand and six grand, that's the natural order in which we present our prices. But if instead you present better, best, better, good, you know, so you present six grand, 
four grand, two grand, then people anchor on the six grand and anything, that's what they compare everything following to. And the third really quick and easy way to improve your pricing is to try and make sure that your prices are precise. And by that, you know, I just said two grand, four grand, six grand. If it was two thousand one hundred and twenty pounds or four thousand two hundred and ninety pounds, you know, they're, they're just a little bit more precise because a precise price subconsciously suggests that there's, there's some science behind it. There's a reason why it's that. And if people just encounter a price that says two grand, well, that's it just sounds like you've made that up. If you if you can make up a number, I'll make up a number. Let's have a negotiation. And all of the evidence, and this is both in B2C, for example, house sales, and in B2B, uh, buying and selling businesses, all of the evidence is, when analysed, the more precise the initial asking price, the less negotiation takes place, the closer the final price is. And just allied to that, if you ever do get into a negotiation, if you, if you get the typical buyer response, the, oh, that's a, that's a bit expensive you couldn't sharpen your pencil could you because you know? i think all buyers are trained to do that if you get that um our natural inclination is to say oh yeah we can knock 10 percent off well if you can knock 10 why not 11 12 13 14 or 15? You, you've clearly clearly just plucked a number out of thin air but if instead you, you spent a minute and you got a piece of paper out and you noted down some numbers and and, and worked uh, something out and said yeah I could knock off 3.9%, then again, it looks like there's some science behind it. And the amount of discount negotiation that takes place is likely to be a lot less than if you just come out with, well, yeah, 10%. So they're the three simplest and most universal tips. You know, uh, try and put more than one price in front of a customer whenever you can. If you can put more than one price in front of a customer, start with the highest price first, because that's what they anchor on, and try and make your prices a little bit precise. Because round prices look like you've just made them up and they're inviting a negotiation. That's absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. I'm afraid that that's all we've got time for for today. But if anyone listening to this ever has anything for up or wants to discuss further, David, can we reach at david.abbott, that's A-B-B-O-T-T, -T, at gonnacook.com. Mm -hmm. um, thank you very much for having the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and we've learned a lot. Thank you. Uh, it's been a Pleasure from my side too. Lovely to chat to you.